listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. I'm Mitch Alexander. I'm Tom McLean. I'm Tom Lang. And I'm Evie. And as always, we've got Isaac in our ears, fact-checking and running a Bitcoin scam operation in the background. (laughs) We're rich, but our emissions are through the roof. (laughs) (laughs) But it's okay because we give a nominal... A nominal... A nominal. (sighs) It's okay because I fuck up my words. You're all listening to. (laughs) (laughs) I am... I, I, I finally hit that level of exhaustion where, like... I don't feel tired, but I'm dropping everything and my words don't work. So apologies in advance if something I've noticed myself doing all week is I will say a word extremely confidently, but it's the exact opposite of what I mean. And it's in the, it's in the same ballpark. The other day I was like, fuck, this weather is so bad for winter. I mean, mm. summer. And I just, that's, that's oh, how yeah. I'm operating for the last week. I'm very fatigued. So apologies in advance when it seems like I'm really into the Liberal Party later on in the episode. Uh, I think that's <laughs> the most dangerous level of fatigued is where you don't know how fatigued you are. It's like when you've had just enough drinks to be confident in your ability to drive. <laughs> I'm a really good pool player and race car driver when I've had a couple beers. <laughs> The Netherlands had a, uh, they done did a mini robo-debt scandal. And uh, the, the the headline reporting is that the entire Dutch government collapsed over it and they all resigned and, and the Netherlands is a leftist utopia yet again. Hell yeah. Um, uh, sort of. <laughs> so <laughs> we're not going to pivot into an international news podcast despite the start of the last two episodes, we promise. But the reason why I think it's pretty cool to bring up the Netherlands, like... Collapse, government collapse, so to speak, is because it mirrors Australia in really interesting ways. So, for some context, uh, over in the Netherlands, they had what was essentially a robo debt scandal where they accused a whole bunch of families incorrectly of fraudulently claiming a childcare allowance. And just like with robo debt here, they accused all of these families of like defrauding the government. And by accuse, I mean instantly found them guilty of like fraud. Mm. Mm. And charging people this debt. Um, they owed some of these families owed tens of thousands of euros. Some people went bankrupt because of this. Other people were just like in what looked like perpetual debt forever. And just like robo debt in Australia, it was not only incorrect, but it, the way they did it was illegal as well. Mm. Um, one of the uh, direct quotes um, was that the 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 system that they used um, uh, violated, quote, fundamental principles of the rule of law. Ooh. And that was from a report oh, that was shit. suddenly entitled Unprecedented Injustice. Oh. <laughs> which is Weird. pretty That's fucking like some big. real Alan Tudge levels of unambiguously yeah. <laughs> being a criminal. Hey. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you, that's, not, that's not really a title that fucks around um, with anything. And so, but also, I gotta say, wrong. Unprecedented injustice. Yeah. No, Australia did it earlier. We, we got beat your precedent you to it. right here. Yeah, damn. <laughs> God, yeah. You know what I always say about the Dutch is that they never look outside their own bloody borders. They're so <laughs> myopic. Oh. But also, that kind of gives me hope that they don't know how shit we are, because you know, Britain and America regularly quote Australian shit as like, huh? See how evil they are. Maybe we could do that too. So, you know, we haven't we haven't gotten to that far uh, to to that far north of Europe, but. The main thing that happened with this, the headlines at the moment, is that the the Dutch government quit over this scandal. You know, and a lot of people are talking about, well, imagine if Scott Morrison and his government entirely quit over this whole thing. Ah, oh, that the, you know, why when can we get some responsibility like that out of the Australian hmm. government? But and then reading not wrong, we should have responsibility. Well, this is the thing. What happened in the Netherlands was, um, this is directly a quote from the Australian Financial Review. The move was seen as largely symbolic. Rutt, who was the, the, the leader of the government, uh, his government will remain in office in a caretaker mode until a new coalition is formed after a March 17 election hmm. in the Netherlands. They're just chucking a bridge at McKenzie. The entire cabinet has just gone, ah, what we did was really bad. We're all going to resign our portfolios from the cabinet. Oh, but also we're in the middle of a pandemic, so we're going to stay in place until the March 17th election. And then everyone's gone, oh, so does that mean once we get to this election, you're all going to quit politics and you can't be voted back in? And they've all gone, oh, no, 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 no. You can definitely vote us back in if you want to. Yeah, and make sure that you remember how much integrity we displayed after the, 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 the controversy <laughs> of the, the tax fraud stuff. Like, we all resigned, and surely that means that we're good people that you should vote for. <laughs> you know who didn't resign? The opposition. <laughs> <laughs> 
Wasn't it the case that the opposition did resign? Um, so uh, the opposition party in the Netherlands is actually in coalition with the government because, in like ah. most countries in Europe, oh, like they've Australia, got, they've got. <laughs> oh my God, was that a huge layup for you, McLean? That was uh, so. Like so, yeah. So in Europe, what happens is most of these countries have actually have like seventeen major parties, and so they all form these weird coalition-style governments. And so, oh, so that's why they yeah, can have socialist the parties party. there. Yeah, exactly. That's that's why in Germany, I remember years ago, there was a dude from the Pirate Bay party just at like a huge big round table and everyone else was in suit and tie and he was just in like a t-shirt and shorts. <laughs> it was just like, I'm in government uh-huh. now. Disclaimer, um, the Not Good Enough podcast is not a valid source for European government news. <laughs> <laughs> it's a source of not good enough news. That is a real thing that 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 happened. The the opposition leader, what's his name, Lodewijk Asker, uh, former minister of social affairs, stepped down as the leader of the Dutch Labour Party, who was in opposition, uh, because they were also involved in setting up that system that mm. was um, yeah. illegally clawing money back from welfare recipients. And his resignation made the prime minister's position untenable. It's like if Albo was like, "Look, Labour set up mm. robo debt. It's clearly fucked. I'm stepping down specifically over robo debt." You could see how that puts so much pressure on Scott well, Morrison actually, to resign. Well, actually, technically, it would be closer to if Michael McCormick did that, the leader of the Nationals Party. If he was just like, oh, I'm going to yeah. stand down, and the person- uh, I'm not going to pretend that I understand the, the, yeah. <laughs> the structure of the Dutch government here. But I'm saying that one thing that Albo could do that would actually put pressure <laughs> on Scott Morrison <laughs> is fuck off, and <laughs> it'd be amazing. <laughs> if he stopped giving them space- yeah, uh, Albo not being in the room would actually make the government's job harder. <laughs> like, he's providing such little opposition that his absence <laughs> is a better opposition party. I, and it, I, I unironically believe that. Oh, no, no, it's yeah, 100%. That is, that is the truth. Um, look, I don't want to dwell on international news t- for too much longer, but I just think it's worth sort of, like... Keeping in mind that when you hear stories like this, we'll hopefully get to another one today in a similar way, but when you hear stories like this, you want to keep in mind that politicians everywhere largely do symbolic things. So when you get Mm. excited about like a foreign government doing something that maybe Australian Mm. governments could do, it's not usually that good. Like like we said with Bridget McKenzie and the sports rort stuff, we aren't satisfied with her resigning her portfolio position. Would we be stoked if the Australian government did this exact same thing over robo-debt? I fucking wouldn't be. No. No, because they're just going to get re-elected in a couple months. Because they're just like, if they, if they were in power until the election and then they wanted to keep caretaker through COVID, oh. I would just be like, well, that's no, that's nothing. You've done nothing. Yeah. More to the point, I, I'm still pissed off at the way that they report this of like, you know, the du- entire mm. Dutch government collapse. No, it didn't. Mm. Yeah. Um, it is important to point out, though, that they did pay 30,000 euros, or I think euros, it might have been dollars. I'm pretty sure it was euros. They paid 30,000 euros to every affected family, all 20,000 affected families. So that's that's a good start. It's more than $180, hey? <laughs> and the government fessed up and said, we fucked up. Um, and both of those things are looking pretty good compared to Australia. Um, so we're, yeah. we're still shit. It's not like every government is as shit as us. There are a few governments as shit as us. There is a substantive difference in having a prime minister of a country go, oh, yeah, that was bad, as opposed to just going, ha, 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 I'm going on holidays. (laughs) Like that. Um, Can I... Can I draw one more (laughs) bow to international news? Because I just remembered that the British government had their whole fucking school scandals thing that I'm not going to go into, uh, where they were, like, fucked up giving food to poor kids and didn't give Uh. them enough food to live, and it was incredibly embarrassing. But once that all came out and there was huge outrage, Boris Johnson blamed the opposition for not pulling (laughs) him up on it. He said, Ah, well, the opposition party has not done a very good job of keeping us in account. (laughs) That's so good. No, I have to pay Boris Johnson. That is a new level of just utter pig shittery. It's big brain. That is amazing. Where were you dropping the ball on keeping me on? I'm corrupt as shit. I'm a terrible leader. I can't be trusted with anything. You are supposed to keep me in check. You were the designated driver. I wouldn't vote for you. Look how poorly you've done dealing with me. (laughs) 
before we get into environmental news, I want to actually do Lang's Dictionary Corner. <laughs> that makes it sound so much less fun than it That's actually is. That's why we've is. got him on the pod. It's <laughs> a new section that I will never be allowed to do again. Um, <laughs> For a comedy podcast, it's Dictionary Corner. Yeah. <laughs> Because I, I haven't been on uh, the last two weeks. I've been on assignment at the beach, and and which means I get to view the podcast with a critical eye. And I noticed that we occasionally use the word doomerism, like we say, "Oh, we're a no doomerism podcast." And I think we think we know what that means, but I don't think it's a word that is actually very clear. And so I wanted to kind of pull that concept apart. We generally talk about about doomerism or or doom stuff in the context of climate change or, or, you know, general general horrible things that are happening like coronavirus or whatever. I'm not sure how I feel about the term because it actually has a couple of meanings. Um, when I talk about climate change or hopefully when we talk about this kind of stuff in the podcast, we can be, we can be a bit doom and gloomy. Um, we can be like, oh, you know, stuff's horrible, things are dying. If we don't do something about it, we're going to be living in a bushfire-ridden hellscape. Yeah, stay tuned for the rest of the episode. Exactly, <laughs> and the rest of the podcast, and in fact, the rest of your life. Um, the rest of human civilization. Yeah. <laughs> See, we're doing we're it no right doomerism now. Podcast. We're yeah. doing it right now. We're a no-doomerism <laughs> podcast. But... I don't call that doomerism. I don't think that's doomerism. I think that's Mm. realism. Some people might disagree with me, and that's fine. But the important thing is that we're not saying it's hopeless. We're saying that there is stuff we can do. We can make a change. Things can get better. It's it's very grim. It's like when your doctor says, oh, you've got gangrene. We're going to need to take your leg off. Now, the response there isn't, whoa, Doc, enough with the negativity. I don't want these bad vibes. The response there is, okay, thank you for diagnosing this. Let's fucking fix this shit. <laughs> yeah. I still don't I know if important. let's fucking fix this shit is the right... Look, you've just been told you have gangrene and have to lose your leg. You're allowed to say whatever you want. Um, We've got to amputate. Hell yeah, let's hit this. <laughs> Take this leg Sorry, off. I'm just, I'm just imagining going to the doctor and being diagnosed with bad vibes. <laughs> we cannot stress enough you need to log off. <laughs> what I would call doomerism is when people say there's nothing we can do. We can't fix climate change. Let's give up and just buy an SUV. Um, That is a real thing. That's something that you see around. It can also be well-meaning lefties who've become so burned out and depressed that they are just just bringing down everybody else and actively making it harder to take action. Um, And that's it's a real it it can be um, a tactic of delay where people go, don't worry about it. It's, It's impossible to fix. So we shouldn't even try. That's doomerism. And we yep. definitely aren't doing that. But I think that we, we, when we say no doomerism, I think what we mean is let's not try to bring people down too much with our, with our realistic assessment of the future, as hopeful as it may be. Well, I think, yeah, part of it is that, especially McLean and I, we would usually chuck it in right before a news subject that is like, yeah, a bit of a downer or depressing. But I think mm. it is really good to reframe it as... When we are talking about this, this isn't a throwaway thing. Doomerism isn't just, ah, what a bummer. Mm. This is, there. there is hope. We are not giving yeah. up. This is not what people usually refer to as nihilism, however incorrectly <laughs> I've done philosophy. <laughs> um, like, yeah, it is about maintaining, yeah, a drive and a hopefulness and a positivity, mm. even in the face of things that are potentially depressing. Yeah. Yeah, And I think with a lot of climate stuff, uh, coronavirus is a really useful analogy because nobody is ever saying, oh, I don't want to hear coronavirus statistics. Oh, don't tell me about this virus. That is, that's doom and gloom. No, because you've got to know about the bad stuff in order to avoid yeah. it. Yeah, Like, I think there's a, there's a lot of room to, like, talk about, like, toxic positivity and, like, you can just be, yes. like, a Pollyanna and just ignore everything bad that happens in the world. But exactly. I, uh, but what I think it's, it, I'm glad that you pointed out is that it's important to be aware of things that are happening that are bad in order to be optimistic about what you can do for the future. Mm. 
And so there is a great infographic you've just reminded me of because toxic positivity is a real issue in, in climate stuff where people go, oh, people don't want to hear bad news. Let's just give them good vibes and we can fix the world step by step, maybe by the year 2300. Um, there is a- <laughs> it's, it's always those stories of like, this micro brew company is using algae to sop up two tons of carbon every year. Exactly. Uh, it's totally like okay. the toxic positivity stuff really infiltrates all the like the individualism stuff. Like if you, mm-hmm. t- if you use a keep cup, and like replace all your cling wrap with like reusable um, bee, bee oh, wax or silicon. something. Yeah, then, that, so good, then that's yeah. then, then that's like you're gonna individually cure climate change. Like. Just smearing but, but my Lang. searing my sandwiches with beeswax before I go to work. So, mm, this sucks. Like you were about to describe an infographic on our podcast, though. What's what's the what's so, the deal? Yeah, and that and that's obviously not going to go well. We're going to put it in the notes, but it's a... savage. <laughs> okay, imagine it's like a circle. Uh... No, it's, it's this great infographic of the different kind of tactics of climate delay. And it's like techno-utopianism, you know, which is the Elon Musk. Ah, oh, don't worry about it. We'll fix it all with technology. Or it's the Doomerists where they're like, there's no point doing anything. Or there's the, the toxic positivity where they're like, oh, let's not talk about it. And it's great to have a visualization of those things so you can be like, ah, hang on, you're not being useful. You're just delaying shit. And it's also great to have as a bingo kind of mat for when the government says anything because you can see that they jump from one to the other, but they're all linked by delaying effective action. So I'll I'll post that one. That goddamn government. (laughs) (laughs) If only we had a government like the Dutch government, which tell you exactly why they're delaying action on climate change. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking government pouring hundreds of millions of dollars of subsidies into gas fracking in the Beetaloo Basin in the Northern Territory. It brings us right into our next fucking point. Uh, which is the whole point. That's just the, the, the news out of this week is that there's uh, some new gas exploration for fracking in the NT and the government is subsidizing it very heavily. Federal Resources Minister Keith Pitt said the government will provide up to $50 million for exploration that occurs before the 30th of June 2022. We want to hurry this up. We want to get more of this gas exploration happening. He says, allowing the benefits of this important asset to be realized sooner. Oh, man. This just reminded me of something. Um, when Joe Biden was elected last year, there were lots of like really um, hand-wringing sort of editorials from our worst commentators in Australia saying, <laughs> well, <laughs> if Joe Biden's now um, president, that means that now Australia's finally going to be pushed on climate change and maybe uh-huh. we won't do any fracking. <laughs> like Joe Biden, who like loves fracking and wants to kiss it on the mouth. Meanwhile, Australia's like, let's do even more fracking. This is also, yeah, it really needs to be pointed out. This is the Australian government saying, yes, let's do more fracking. Meanwhile, the gas and fracking industry itself is like, I guess we can do some fracking. This- <laughs> it is so interesting. To this funding announcement, gas industry representative Keld Knudsen huh. pointed out that the industry hadn't actually sought government mm. subsidies to carry out that drilling. Oh he said the funds may help incentivize more wells that are currently planned. Sure, but they're, they're like, I mean, sure, we'll take the money. Thanks. We didn't ask for it, but all right. They have less means testing for fracking than they do for welfare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This is like the coal industry. Fuck. This is like basically the coal industry is like, please don't make us open more refineries because we, <laughs> yeah. we don't want to so, do we're it. We're so full. <laughs> we lose money on them every time. No, 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 no. Here's, here's, here's another $100 million. Open up another one. <laughs> the gas industry is saying, hey, there's no fucking financial future in this and fracking is really shit. Can we stop? And Morrison's like, here you go, champ. Have some fracking dollars. Yeah. The gas from the basin is projected to emit up to 117 megatons of greenhouse gas per year. For reference, the transport sector of all of Australia is only 100 megatons per mm-hmm. year. So this is wow. they're just they they're just going to double the whole not double. They're going to just like set up a whole another extra transport industry's worth of emissions. The, just for the gas industry isn't even seeking out these subsidies and the, the government's just like do it, do it, do it, do it. It's not even a good money spender. It doesn't make them tax dollars. They are absolutely just destroying the environment to own the libs. Like, (laughs) yeah, there's no coherent... Uh, there's no coherent strategy here except we need to make as much carbon emissions as possible as soon as possible before someone realises we should all be in jail. Oh, 
shit. I really reckon that that is like literally it. Like you look at the the Fuck. sort of the reasoning behind the subsidies there. They're not so that that gas exploration can happen. No, the gas exploration's already happening. Specifically, Keith Pitt said so that it can happen before the thirtieth of June, twenty twenty two. Like, oh gosh, guys, when's the next election? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we need to lock this shit in. Uh, I just realised that they probably do very much see emissions as dollar signs. Yeah, like, but that is emissions one hundred percent economy. It is like there are there are there are a, there's a satanic cabal down in Canberra who want to destroy the world. That's obviously without question. But there is another consortium of business owners who they do just genuinely look at like 117 megatons of greenhouse gas per year instantly gets converted into to their mind of how many dollars, Australian dollars that is. I don't even think they see it as dollar signs. I think they just see it as smiley faces. Yeah. <laughs> They're just like, it's like 117 the megatons of greenhouse gas per year. Nice. <laughs> and there's no follow on thought of like, I'll be rich. It's just like, well, we want more of that, don't we? We're the right wing. That's our goal. One day Jesus. it's going to turn out that uh, that the, the coalition has accidentally been mistaking the word emissions for profit this whole time, uh, and it's going to be real embarrassing. Angus, They're going to be like, Angus hey, guys, oh uh, I just got a promotion, so I'm going to be bringing home a lot more emissions. And his wife's like, I'm sorry? <laughs> what do you mean you're going to be bringing home emissions? You know, emissions, like just to pay for a house and car. And like, no, 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 sorry, you mean money. He's like, isn't it the same thing? No, no way. <laughs> you know those Google Chrome extensions that change like uh, the economy to taxpayer money or whatever it is? Uh, Angus yeah. Taylor has one set up and it changes emissions to profit. And he's just yeah. reading all these articles like, this rules. Oh, uh, yeah. He but set it up forgotten. as a joke like 15 years ago <laughs> yeah. and forgot about it. There's one last little bit that I want to talk about on, on this bit. This is the Australian Financial Reviews report on these new subsidies. It, it just closes on this paragraph that just like immediately sent me into space. Like just, <laughs> it says... The re-election of the Gunner Labor government in the Northern Territory in August has widely been seen as an endorsement of work to develop onshore gas. Like, how is an election of a Labor government seen as an electoral mandate to do more fracking when the opposition, like, well, you know, the, uh-huh. the, the coalition there is also pro-fracking? It's like you've got, hey, do you want fracking or do you want fracking? And the populace is like, <laughs> I guess fracking. And they're like, well, it seems like the people want fracking. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck else were they going to elect? Farmers in Victoria have had to destroy $150,000 worth of salary because they had no one to pick it. Um, I don't know exactly how much salary that is, but given the cost of salary, I think it's about 9 billion tonnes. Yeah. Um, so that's unfortunate. Earth is now being thrown off its axis. We are spinning out into space. <laughs> we didn't distribute the celery properly. Oh, man. i got to say, this comes as good news to me. I freaking hate celery. <laughs> <laughs> Useless bloody vegetable. Like, or, or, or put or, peanut or, butter on it. No, it's terrible. Yeah, and it's, it's just weird, like filler it? for like shakes and stuff like that. Like just it's just water. That one hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of celery has the same calories as a single hamburger. <laughs> <laughs> so this is again one of those stories like the the Dutch government collapsing one, where the initial report I think is a bit maybe not misleading, but I think especially amongst leftists, we have this initial idea of what the root cause problem might, may or may not be and just sort of jump to conclusions about who's to blame and what the issues are. And I think it is worth digging a little deeper into it. So in the article in the ABC specifically that reported on this, the farmers go out of their way to report on how they are paying at least $27 an hour to the casual staff that are there. And like they obviously want to sort of take the the line of, oh, the, the people in our area, this is like rural Victoria. People in our area, the the, the bloody welfare's too good. They don't wanna they don't wanna go to work. And like that that line is worth interrogating a little mm. bit because you're literally saying, I reckon people should be forced to work on my land or they should starve to death while homeless. I'm not into that yeah. line of reporting so much. Let's be a little critical of farmers that say that. Yeah, but this isn't that. Like, that's usually the case when they're talking about, like, oh, come up and pick fruit in, in Queensland or whatever. And it's like, yeah, because we pay extremely terrible wages and extremely horrible work conditions. This this article makes it clear that in this instance, at least with the, the salary farmers, the, the, the issue wasn't the, like, underpayment of staff. But there's no real massive discussion about 
the, the fact that you can't just offer a wage that's real good mm. and have workers rock up. Like it's it's just it's such a weird thing to take in isolation, as if like we've got these like. I've, I've said a version of this, but we've got unemployed people and we've got work to be done. And I'm offering a pretty good wage. So, well, why aren't the workers just magically teleporting to me? It's yeah, like, jobs are fungible. Because, yeah, exactly. They, are, they need to travel during a global pandemic with which the state and federal laws are very confusing and harsh at a moment's notice. They need to be able to travel. Some of these people probably, they may not have cars. They may not be able to afford to get there. They also then have to figure out their living arrangements. How long are they going to be picking salary for? Are they paying rent at their old place and a new place? Are you going to put them up? What's the go? The, the, the issue is systemic. Um, this yeah. is this is one of the main reasons I wanted to bring this story up is that the COVID nineteen has shown us the the massive issues with the neoliberal setup of the Western world in that our systems work really well for the global few when every single system is working perfectly without a hiccup and most of these systems also just have like one keystone element and once that collapses the whole thing goes to shit if we don't have Pickers on like, you know, vulnerable people or people from overseas picking our fucking fruit and veg, no one gets fruit and veg. Mm. If the university systems don't have foreign students paying exorbitant rates for our courses, no one gets an education. Our hospitality and our meal delivery drivers are in the exact same position. And so when these articles come out, we need to start looking at government responses, uh, both state and federal. We need to start looking at not just these incentives, but how we support people outside of an hourly wage. That's one of the main things I wanted to talk about. Especially for a casual worker. The craziest thing about it is that like we or like we almost immediately started seeing the consequences of outsourcing all our money um, for um, internal functions at the start of this pandemic in March. Like the, you mentioned the university students, like none of those students mm. could come over. None of those students could start mm. uni. So many people had to go home. Like this entire like last 12 months has just been uh, just the falling out of our university system being just torn to shreds by the reduction in wages, international students being treated horribly in return for them paying, you know, tens of thousands of dollars for their education. And now that that money even that, that they usually put in isn't there anymore and we just have yeah. nothing in return. And, like, there still doesn't seem to be a solution to that. Like, one thing I always want to hit when I can is that, like, international students didn't get the welfare support that the other people did. So it's if we're insane. relying on them to pick our fruit and veg and or and to pay for university stuff, we should at least offer them a little bit of support in in exchange for that so they can continue to support us in the future. But no, we didn't even do that. No, the, the Australian government is very much a fuck you, even like even in normal circumstances. Yeah. Oh God, the Australian government loves uh. to say fuck you. I think there's a real <laughs> thing. This is this is Mitch the, a bit of your. Um, uh, you know, hobby horse of the, the, you know, taking it from the economic focus to the human focus, where it, it's not even like, oh, the, 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 the rural, you know, vegetable and fruit picking jobs don't pay enough because we can see with the salary one, even when they do pay a fair wage, you can't get the workers in and the government can offer a subsidy that says, you know, oh, we'll pay you X thousand dollars to move rurally so that you can, um, you know, b- b- take up these jobs. A rebate. <laughs> a rebate. Yeah. Keep, yeah. The, the, the government sort of sees workers as just, you know, a sort of mass of labor force that you can just sort of move around by pulling money levers. Yeah. But every single worker that they expect to move from the city to rural Victoria is still a human. Yeah. And mm. it doesn't really matter what your minimum wage is in these rural areas because the humans that you're sort of seeking to shuffle between these places have to leave their communities and they have friends and they have, you know, share houses that they need to figure out. And they have, you know, all they, people live in communities. They, they're they're not, you know, you, you can't just shuffle them around like pieces on a board. And we've got things like the NBN was a disaster. The reason that they were trying to roll that out originally in that plan was so that we could get good internet connections in rural Australia. Yeah. We don't have that really well now because we fucked it up so badly. That's a factor. I wouldn't want to move rurally because I'm I'm a big nerd. I want to, you know, I want to get a good ping on my video games. <laughs> One of our friends of the podcast, um, Sean Bedlam, has been fighting for months now to try and get uh, rural internet connected thanks to the NBN being a clusterfuck. And that's only just yeah. happened after several months. And yeah, so it's 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 like, oh, why aren't these people going out rurally? And we can say, you know, uh, reason one, 
bad money going out rurally, pay them fairly and they will. But it's also like you need to just acknowledge that people are people. Like even if the money is good, people need – they need to be able to live their lives wherever they go, you know? And this is the fact that they're not already established, that there aren't already workers in the country ready to go because they're relying on this casual labor force coming from wherever is is why this has happened, among other reasons. It turns out it's a shit system. Like, if, you're yeah. enti- if your entire system, either like fruit and veg picking or the university sector, relied on these people coming in from overseas, then that was just a shit system. You should at least have two other vectors for income so you only lose a third as opposed to all of your fucking salary for, for a month of picking. Um, <laughs> like, it's, yeah. so, it's a bad time. <laughs> and this is probably like the crux of, of why so much of this capitalist sort of system collapses when something goes wrong is it's all about optimizing profits. And I'm talking the entire economy here, not salary farmers. Mm. They can't help that they live in this system. Um, It's about optimizing profits. And that means shaving off all of the slack around your system until you're left with something that that works for the minimum amount of cost. But as soon as anything goes wrong, it entirely collapses. It would be like taking the airbags out of your car to save money because you never use them. This is one that, that fucks me up about, like, just the, the, such a good example is the Australian Postal Service. Yeah. Where it's like, <laughs> you know, 20 years ago before it was privatized, you, you miss a delivery, you, you, you post you'd come past the next day, they would try again. But now it's been, you know, efficiency, mm-hmm. you know, passed on over it so that everything's running at maximum efficiency. And the most efficient thing that we can do is if you miss the delivery, now it's at the post office and you you got to go there. That, that's not a better service. Having having things run well, having a life that is comfortable and and feels secure means having a little more slack than you need. That that could apply to individuals. That's a safety net. That's welfare. That's if you lose your job, you're not homeless and dead the next day. Um, yeah. That's not the most efficient system because obviously then there's money uh, being given to people or or, or extra houses uh, that could be could be my investment property. Um, for a salary farmer, it might be in some welfare system or incentive to have workers that are employed not just casually, but even when that salary farm doesn't need workers or people just living in the country, um, yeah. even when there's not like the maximum amount of work. The other interesting thing here is we're blaming this on a lack of workers. These salary growers are forced to dump $150,000 worth of crops because of a lack of workers. But they haven't examined that very well because we're in a pandemic. Every industry and every business is losing money. And we're just seeing this because you can count salary. But no one's saying the art system has lost millions of dollars of ticket prices for a lack of, of museum goers or, or theater yeah. goers. Universities have a, a million dollars down for a lack of students. You know, we understand why we don't have students and, and, arts visitors and and all of these things we're in a pandemic everyone's losing money we need a system where that one hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of salary crops either has the slack to be picked or we go wow that sucks here's welfare so that that isn't coming out of your pocket so just quickly as well on the um on the actual reasons why the salary wasn't picked the poor so we are venerating salary in a way i was not expecting <laughs> given the comments at the start of this no, i'm standing by my original comments about yeah. salary <laughs> nah, same fuck salary but um, i want salary pickers to be treated well yeah, but i want them to pick that salary. salary and throw it right in the fucking trash <laughs> <laughs> terrible vegetable just throwing it straight into a bin <laughs> um, the pandemic has decimated victoria's salary destruction industry <laughs> we're all suffering for it a, a thing, though, about like what is actually causing some of the problems with this, this is directly from, again, the ABC article. Who could possibly be in charge of how vegetables get picked in Victoria? From the article, quote, Growers have offered to charter flights and pay for on-farm quarantine themselves, but the Victorian government is yet to approve a COVID-safe way of bolstering the agricultural <sighs> workforce to meet the immediate demand. Fuck yeah, Dan Andrews. Well done <laughs> yet again, fucking up the COVID response in the most niche way possible that will still get reported on, you fucking dolt. I love that entitlement. I'm just trying to charter vegetable picking flights and quarantine. How long could it take to work out a good system for that? You know what, Lane? uh, I reckon (laughs) even if it takes a year, I reckon we fucking knew that the vegetables had to be picked at this time because it's not like it's a surprise every year. 
Mm, like, oh, I'm, come I'm, on, I was busy managing uh, the lockdown and government's only one person, Mitch. Like, <laughs> I'm going to play both sides here, but I think, I think like, the fact that the government hasn't approved my intercity veggie charter flight system is not, like, we're looking at the wrong problem there. It's not approve my charter flights faster. It's like, there's a lot of stuff that they're doing badly, but approving your charter quarantine flight veggie pickers is not it. I, I agree in the particular. I disagree in the general. In particular, yeah, if your farmer's <laughs> just going to be like, oh, chuck them up in me shed for two weeks and give, the, give them the test exactly. myself. Okay, no. But the Victorian government has had a very long time to work on this. It's the exact same point about why they sent cops to the towers when they locked them down instead of medical staff. Mm. You had a lot of time to figure out the best response to a cluster growing. You also had a lot of time to figure out how this fruit would be picked and the vegetables would be picked because we knew that people weren't going to be coming in from overseas. Yeah. We knew people were losing jobs you could have set something up but instead he had to be all sexy at those press conferences (laughs) distract us all yeah the the problem isn't that their charter flights aren't being approved the problem is that they're having to consider charter flights speaking of charter flights uh let's talk about (laughs) my favorite topic which is sports hey sports corner let's get into sports corner last week was supposed to be the start of the Australian Open, uh, which is one of the many um, tennis Grand Slams uh, that has been delayed or cancelled or otherwise hampered by the international pandemic that seems to be happening at the moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that thing. The problem being, however, is that it now is just riddled with coronavirus. (laughs) <laughs> Who could have seen this coming? <laughs> ay, ay, ay. So a, a series of unfortunate events has happened within the last 48 hours, in fact. The first <laughs> sort of warning sign was basically uh, that a player who tested positive in November, uh, his name is Tennis Sandrin. <laughs> his name's Tennis Sandrin. <laughs> I'm probably saying that wrong, but his first name is literally Tennis um, <laughs> Either way, you might be saying it wrong. Sandra. Oh don't know how that God. last name works. Tennis, though, definitely don't, his first name. Don't know. Don't really care. He <laughs> had coronavirus in November and has tested positive um, before he right. came over. But um, doctors determined this is probably a case of viral shedding. So we'll just let him over anyway. Yeah. That's fine. We'll wing it. You know, I love that that's the first sign that, oh, this is a red flag. It's not a red flag. You're literally being gored by a bull. <laughs> And so Tennis Australia is actually paying for the quarantine of all the players here. That's not how you pronounce his name. I'm sorry. (laughs) Fucking hell. His name's Tennis. He's a tennis player. He's from Tennessee. He's from Tennessee. (laughs) (laughs) What is going on with it? Reality's breaking down. I'm freaking out. Yeah, reality's just like, oh, no, we've got a case of COVID in the tennis, 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 tennis. Uh, I'm down in Melbourne. Oh, this is so stupid. Every every single part of this story gets stupider. So um, Tennis Australia is paying for the quarantine of all the players who are coming over here. There is, much like everything else, there is a tiered system for quarantine even. What the fuck? So all the so let me explain how this is going down. So the elite players are all in Adelaide at the moment, which means that they have like a bit more wriggle room in terms of their actual mm-hmm. quarantine conditions. So they're allowed to exercise for f- up to five hours a day, which means that they get to actually train for their matches. Whereas all the lower seated players in Melbourne uh, were promised a bubble before they came over here, but due to events which I'm going to explain in a minute, they are now all in hard lockdown in Melbourne, unable to train for the tournament that is happening in two weeks. Now, what has happened, what what has transpired within the last 24 to 48 hours is that there's been a few chartered flights bringing across players and coaches um, and at least two people have tested positive to coronavirus on two of those flights. Uh, One of them them being the coach of Bianca Andrescu, who has actually come forward and said so. And so now all the players and coaches who are on those two flights are in lockdown, including any further ones that are coming through on the chartered flights. So the Australian Open Twitter is really funny at the moment because 
every sort of mention about the actual games has just gone by the wayside because they're just posting announcements of who has coronavirus. Oh, my God, <laughs> oh, This is going to be the thing, too, is like today Melbourne has announced zero local cases and 48 international arrival cases of COVID-19. <laughs> it's going to happen. You know how, like, they, you know how when the DHS Twitter has, like, the infographic showing um, the differences about who actually has coronavirus. Yeah. Now they're going to have a section that says like uh, three international tennis players acquired overseas coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> and we yeah, asked them to insane. come over. Come so, on in. So it should, the reason why I felt it was like, aside from it being an extremely funny turn of events, I don't want anyone to get coronavirus, but this was so avoidable. There was no reason for this to happen. But but I the the reason why I wanted to bring this up is that as usual, the agreement for the Australian Open to go ahead was a decision by the Victorian government. Daniel Andrews, oh. Daniel Andrews, in fact, specifically said so that <laughs> that that he was intending to go ahead with the tournament um, because of the international prestige and the economic benefits. Like you know, this was mm. part of his whole COVID normal plan for the summer. And so I'll give a direct quote. He said, if the Australian Open does not happen in Melbourne, it will happen somewhere else. It will happen in Japan. It will happen in China. It will happen in Singapore. The real risk then is that it doesn't come back. So just focus on the future of this event. Uh So basically what he's saying is, if we don't hold it here, someone else will steal it in the future. If we don't have an outbreak, someone else will. Yeah, his (laughs) his whole justification for going ahead with the Australian Open as planned this year with you know, a, a small amount of spectators and with players as normal was basically if we don't hold it, someone else will steal the Grand Slam. And this is like the as Victoria is at zero cases. We've got this insanely strong, like you can't get back to Victoria from overseas, from other states, from like everyone on Twitter is going nuts on every different side about this. Yeah, I have friends who have partners who are trapped into state for weeks. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, so. their problem was not being a tennis player from Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> Change your name to tennis. <laughs> not only a tennis player from Los Angeles, but a top-seeded player from Los Angeles. Right. Los Angeles friggin' plague town. <laughs> and we're just like, ah, oh, oh, yeah, just be careful, I reckon. Um, but definitely come over. This is coming from me, who's a, like, is a very sort of, I'm in support of, like, no borders. I really hate the idea of how we've proceeded with this border lockdown within Australia as well. Um, you know, I, I don't want to go on about like, you know, my feelings, how it it reflects our larger uh, attitude towards borders with Australia. Mm. But it's still like the purpose of all these people flying over for the tennis tournament was to continue profit for a corporate yeah. benefit. There was no reason for this to happen. And now we have players who are all promised, you know, safety and security and having all their, you know, uh, their quarantine paid for and looked after and having as much benefit as possible. Now all of them are trapped too. Can I just jump in with a with a little reminder of uh, last year's Australian Open as well, which didn't go particularly well uh, uh, yes. when um, <laughs> of the uh, Slovenian player Delilah Jakupovic oh, yeah. suffered breathing difficulty and, and collapsed oh, fuck, due to the bushfire smoke. smoke. Fuck! Can we just ease off the Australian Open for one year? <laughs> it's like, like, also Singapore's going to steal it. It's the Australian Open. I reckon the global community will let us take it back next year. This has reminded me of something that um, I've talked about with um, several of my tennis loving pals, which is that several tennis the man or tennis the sport. Tennis oh, the sport. Dear. <laughs> I don't think anyone really feels strongly about tennis the man. Um, but I love him. I will sacrifice <laughs> so myself for him. Uh, but yeah, a, a lot of my um, tennis friends have mentioned that the Australian Open itself, and this is probably why Dan Andrews feels so strongly about it as a tourism trap, is that the Australian Open has been under some controversy in terms of the time that it's being held in Australia, which is in the middle of the peak of the Australian summer when it's like, you know, going up to 40 degrees. But the problem is, is that we can't host it at any other time because all the other Grand Slams are happening in other countries. So this is the peak sort of (sighs) interest time for Australia to have a Grand Slam. And it's just, it's darkly funny that not only do we now have like, you know, extreme heat to contend with uh, in January of every summer, now we have bushfire smoke. This year we have a plague. Like what the fuck is next 
the next Australian Open going to bring for every hapless yeah. tennis player that comes here? Some sort of kaiju rampaging through the city. <laughs> yeah. the giant Godzilla that Dan Andrews is like, no, we're going to put up a big fence and we're going to say, go, walk the other way. It's very important. We are aware of the kaiju risk. <laughs> but it's really going to show that this kind of stuff, like climate change, you know, decent health systems in various countries, all affects everything. Like, and I, I'm always like, Australia, you don't get to have sport until you fix your friggin' shit. No, no toys until you've done your <laughs> chores. <laughs> Scott Morrison's on holiday and you might be like, yay, he's a shit prime minister. I'm glad he's not in the country making decisions. Wow. <laughs> He just handed the mantle to his evil vizier. Right? It's like the substitute teacher comes in and just starts open hand hitting a kid. (laughs) (laughs) Because Scott Morrison is a little lump of Play-Doh that just wants to be loved, but it doesn't have a soul. Um, And uh, should I? I should ease up a bit here. Absolutely not. I've come into it. And it's good. No, absolutely not. So Scott Morrison is this little lump of Play-Doh in the shape of a man. He doesn't have any values or anything. Thing. He doesn't doesn't believe in anything. He he just has marketing and he wants power and money. And and that usually ends up with him doing bad stuff um, or covering for bad stuff. Michael McCormack, the acting prime minister, the leader of the nationals who's in charge of the country while Scott Morrison is away, is an actively bad dude. He has <laughs> values and they're bad ones. He yes. is a man and he is a bad man. Scott Morrison's a, a, a lump of Play-Doh who doesn't really have any values and Michael McCormack's a lump of Play-Doh that really believes very strongly in the supremacy of the white race. Right. <laughs> Scott Morrison is the Funko Pop of Michael McCormack. <laughs> Fuck. He, and he'd be, he'd be happily that too. Have you seen the share prices of Funko Pop? They're going fantastic. Oh, you can brand it uh, with anything. Yeah, I so, think we're getting maybe a little yeah, esoteric yeah, yeah. in our yeah, sort of yeah, insults yeah, yeah. now. Okay, so okay, let's, okay. <laughs> get into um, let's run down what actually happened this week with he, Michael fucking. What's before. he actually done? So Scott Morrison goes on holiday. Right when like the U.S. Capitol gets invaded by a bunch of rioters, and they're doing all. You've heard about this. I'm not going to go over it. Michael McCormack, of course, has to make a statement. He's the Australian Prime Minister now. He can't say that it was actively wrong because he's a fascist and he thinks that Donald Trump is good. The far right of Australian politics think Donald Trump is good and that this Capitol Hill right was okay. And so he says, it's unfortunate that we've seen the events at Capitol Hill that we've seen in recent days, similar to those race riots that we saw around the country last year. Sorry, wait, what? Mm -hmm. No one was asking you to make a statement on the Black Lives Matter protests. We just wanted you to be like... Oh, that riot thing in the Capitol Hill sucked. That was bad. You've got to protect yeah. democracy. Good luck yeah, out there, America. Maybe you shouldn't physically raid Parliament is right. all we wanted you to say, McCormick. <laughs> he had to be like, oh, but let's not forget that the lefties had a protest. Ah, mm. oh, that shit again. And everyone went, <clears throat> excuse me, what? And so the next day he went and did another interview where he had his chance to be like, walk it back a bit. And he went, I'm not walking it back. I'm doubling down so hard on that Black Lives Matter was just as bad as uh, a violent attack on the houses of government. He said, and in fact, I'm just going to read out pretty much everything he said. Any form of protest, whether it's a protest over racial riots or indeed what we've seen on Capitol Hill in recent days is condemned and is abhorred. Okay, both sides are bad. Hmm. And they went, they went, no, hang on, any, how are you... Australia has a democratic right to protest. You can't say mm. any form of protest is condemned and abhorred. Well, I'm sorry. He said that. Um, <laughs> oh my God. And, and they said, how can you <laughs> compare these things? He said, it involves violence. It involves destruction of property. involves deaths of people. And any violence of that form is condemned. And he was like, oh, look... Hold on, I'm going to interrupt that one yeah. as well. Yeah. Deaths of people and destruction of property mm. are really, really different. Mm-hmm. If somebody breaks a window, ah, uh, no, you've got to mm-hmm. replace the window. That's going to cost you, I don't know, maybe upwards of $300. If someone fucking dies, that's, that's a different thing. And I think the context is also important. Deaths of people free of any form of context. Destruction of property free of any form of context. I'm pretty sure Michael McCormack is fine with Australian occupation of Afghanistan. <laughs> I was going to okay. say, yeah. yeah. Don't remember him rushing out to condemn the War. findings from the from the 
criminal investigation into war crimes. Right. Don't remember that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, speaking up on the Indigenous deaths in custody? No. Michael McConnell? Nothing. Mm. That, oh. the, that the Black Lives Matter protests were against? Yeah. Mm. Oh. Destruction of property. Does he mean when, um, like, gas companies and frackers come in on farmers' lands and ruin them and make oh. the water undrinkable? Does he mean that type of destruction? No? Huh. Well, well, he said any violence of that form. So, hmm. Um, and <laughs> so he was Michael like, McCormack, okay, welcome to the resistance. Maybe there's some <laughs> room for interpretation here. Maybe lefties might think this is okay. I need to go in harder. He said, <clears throat> I appreciate that there are a lot of people out there who are being a bit bleeding heart about this and who are confecting outrage. He said that. Um, <sighs> but they should know those lives matter too. Wait for it. All lives matter. People shouldn't have to go to a protest and lose their lives. Man, he really said it, like, right out loud. Yeah. And you'll notice, though, that the statement doesn't make sense. It's not at all clear what he's trying to say, but he has yeah. just done that as a means to say the phrase, all lives matter, which for some reason lefties hate. Yeah, who, why, why could <laughs> that be? I, I, I have no idea why. This is the thing that needs to be spelled out every single time we can, and I'm going to take any opportunity I can to talk up Jim Marlowe, friend of the pod, he's so dreamy. But he had he had some really good points on this as well. This is a direct quote from Jim Marlowe's Twitter feed, where he said, All lives matter is also demonstrably racist. It is used by racists to deflect from the actual message of Black Lives Matter, which is that black lives matter as much as white lives. Rejecting this premise is racist. McCormack and his party also have a track record of racism. It's part of a bigger tweet thread where he's talking about, we can just say that Michael McCormack is racist. When you invoke all lives matter... You genuinely are not just sort of deflecting and well actually. You are saying, do not talk to me right now about how black lives should be considered. Because this is, we are focusing on black lives in these moments. We're not talking about the problems white people have. We talk about them a lot. We don't usually like caveat them with white people suffer X. We just say people suffer X. That's a bigger problem that we've got. (laughs) Black people have to have a movement like Black Lives Matter because they are specifically the victim of certain things. And for you to just deflect that and go, well, actually, there are bigger problems. Yeah, no shit. We're not talking about the bigger problems. And I, as a rational, cognitive human being, can think about more than one thing at a time. Michael McCormack. Yeah, Black Lives Matter is like... White supremacists think that it's an answer to the question of, like, which lives matter? Black lives matter. But it's... It's not. It's yeah. a response to the assertion that black lives don't Do, matter, yeah. which is the assertion that society makes every fucking time they let a black person die in a prison cell or, you know, just like disproportionately target them in any sort of crime enforcement stuff and all sort of welfare structures and shit. Like, it's black lives matter is a response to an assertion that black lives don't matter. It's not just like only black lives matter. And it's that's a very simple stance and the only way to not get it is to not get it intentionally like racist white supremacist michael mccormack does yeah jim has brought it up actually on the podcast um previously when we've talked to him Mm. um that a lot of the time um people are very dismissive about um the idea of black lives matter protests here in australia and any sort of um you know right in directly using the phrase of Black Lives Matter because they're like, oh, that's an imported concept. No, it's not. (laughs) Australia uh, suffers. We didn't import black people. And also Australia suffers from exactly the same problems in our disproportionate, you know, imprisonment and killing of black people in Australia that are indigenous to Australia. It's just... It's just baffling, yeah. and all, it's baffling, but also it's a deliberate usage of that term. It is a dog whistle. Mm. White people yep. are an important problem in Australia. Yeah, um, <laughs> and 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 just quickly, last year when all this was happening, um, Pauline Hanson tried to put forward a motion recognizing that all lives matter. So this is something the government is familiar with, and they know that it's bad. And here we are. Friggin' being forced to relitigate Black Lives Matter when we should be talking about how fucked this right wing kind of attempted coup is, and that is exactly what Michael McCormack want. He went, he went. Oh, the far right did something bad, but what about all lives left? matter. Yeah. Um, now I'm not even done because he just. <laughs> this is like his his whole his whole interview was bad. Everything he says is bad, but it's like it's like. 
John Carpenter's 1982 movie, The Thing, okay, where every tiny particle of Michael McCormack's <laughs> speech has in it the ingredients of the whole, and even if that tiny particle is left in isolation, it will fuck your shit up. Because <laughs> every line here is just racist and killer in its own way. He He somehow thinks that being able to storm the Capitol is free speech. And that thinking that Donald Trump had the election stolen from him is free speech. He says, we've gone to two world wars so that people can speak freely. Um, no, it was to stop Nazis. And so that they can have their democratic right to free speech. Um, that's not a democratic right in Australia, but moving on. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's aware of that. Like, we've, we've had movements to try and get a right to free speech enshrined in our constitution. And they have all failed because the government is like, no, <laughs> we do not value that. I honestly don't think Michael McCormack gives a shit what is actually in our laws or whatever. Um, George Christensen, who's also in his party, um, who is a straight up, we've talked about him before, like QAnon, pro-Trump, election fraud, hydroxychloroquine, vaccines don't work. That's not what I thought you were going to say he's a straight up one of, but yeah, no, continue. He's just a shit dude. And they said... Uh, Michael McCormack, uh, do you have an issue with this guy in your party? Like, spouted conspiracy theories. He's fully in line with Donald Trump on election fraud claims in the US. Gone against medical advice by pushing hydroxychloroquine during a pandemic as a course of treatment here in Australia. Why shouldn't he be counselled for pushing false claims and what are essentially non-medical advice to thousands of folks? Well, George Christensen's also supported the Mackay Ring Raid. George Christensen's also supported water infrastructure projects in North Queensland. George Christensen is known as the voice of the North and he's done a darn fine job making sure that there are job creation and prospects for particularly young people and those people indeed who've fallen out of work uh, during COVID-19. And uh, I know that George Christensen's heart's in the right place. Again, I say I'm not in favour of censorship. Now, oh hang my on God, a second. Dude. <sighs> <laughs> if, if someone is in your party and saying political statements about foreign <laughs> governments or about world events or about things that are happening in the country, it is your job as the leader of that party to have a little chat to them and to talk to the press about what they can and can't say. I'm pretty sure if someone in the Greens said something that Michael McCormack didn't agree with, he would be very in favour of censorship. But this is not fucking censorship. Yeah, or if George Christensen said climate change was real or something, you'd yeah. be like, hang on there, mate. George Christensen, by the way, is the guy who thinks that banks shouldn't be able to decide not to invest in fossil fuel companies. So uh, maybe that's censorship. <laughs> but what even is oh, censorship God. anymore? It's like Kaiser Wilhelm. Kaiser Wilhelm, what do you think? Of the beer hole push, he's like, Well, that Adolf also supports a lot of jobs for young people. So, what the fuck are you talking about? Take a stand <laughs> on some shit. Yeah, it's just watching the two parties just mold into each other. This is such a fucking labor line to take. George Christensen defends QAnon conspiracy theory stuff and posts about it all the time. He also supports ring road infrastructure programs. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> oh my god. So this is me calling it at the start of 2021. This year is going to see the friggin' far right of Australia go, we need to be way more fascist. This is them saying freedom of speech, uh, all lives matter, uh, not having censorship, because they've seen in America you don't need to be smart or cool or competent to be a fascist dictator. Anyone can do it. You just have to be a big enough shit and they reckon they can pull it off. So we've really got to get on top of this. You just have to be a big enough shit, but also starring in a reality TV show <laughs> certainly helps. So it's lucky we didn't have Australian journalists getting into the kitchen with these fucking ghouls and oh. cooking up a storm with them and letting everyone know they're just a daggy dad. <laughs> Pauline Hanson on Dancing with the Stars. Ah, fuck! Oh, God damn it. God damn it. this week. Keep an eye out on the reporting that's going to be coming out pretty soon from journalists Sarah Ferguson and Tony Jones, who were sent over to the United States to ostensibly report on the collapse of American democracy, who we reckon might be producing some articles that might platform right-wing people and that may paint them in a positive light. Um, 
go to our show <laughs> notes and our Twitter where we're going to be putting up our uh, media platforming fascist people bingo card and feel free to play along. See if you can um, see if you can get a bingo. Shoot us a message. Should be we'll, fun. I mean, maybe their hearts are in the right yeah. place, but maybe they think that they need to go to America to understand the d- demise of uh, democracy <laughs> in the face of white supremacy. So, yeah, yeah. Who Sarah knows? Ferguson really wants to get right up close to those tiki torches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, shout out this week as well to the unions taking Qantas to court. So that's the Transport Workers Union. Um, and the Australian Services Union, the Flight Attendants Association of Australia, and the Australian Council of Trade Unions, all being involved in a case accusing Qantas of not paying workers their rightful wages for shifts. Fuck yeah. Yeah, that was also like JobKeeper skimming shit as well. They were like keeping JobKeeper, like just disgusting. Yeah. Yep. Don't try and make a profit off of the pandemic, Qantas. Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Solidarity. I just want to call out, very happy the ASU is one of my unions. So good. Nice. Hell yeah. Thank you. Uh, And lastly, heads up, uh, we've got an Invasion Day rally going on in Melbourne. Uh, There's there's rallies going on all around the country, but we're all Melbournians. So that uh, is going to be on Invasion Day itself on the 26th of January. Uh, There's just a big uh, rally coming up at 10.30 a.m. at Parliament House. Um, the, the, just like last year, the <laughs> organisers, uh, whereas the Aboriginal resistance are basically more on top of being COVID safe than any part of the <laughs> colonial government. Um, so make sure you mask up, maintain social distancing, bring sanitizer, don't go if you have symptoms, just be COVID safe. But as long as you're being COVID safe, come to the rally. Uh, and you know, that if you've got the day off, then you fucking should go to the rally. Don't have a barbecue. <laughs> it's invasion day it's, it's horrible <laughs> yeah this is one of those weird things it's like if you do have the day off you have it off for pretty bad reasons the least you could go to, is, to do is go to the rally it's a day to think about a lot of bad shit I have a rostered day off anyway and I was like maybe I should just like adjust my schedule so that I'm working on the Tuesday Ooh. but now there's the invasion day rally I'm gonna go to that yeah it's a day off to protest the government Thanks again for listening to another episode of Not Good Enough. You can get in touch with us on all the socials at notgoodpod or shoot us an email at notgoodpod at protonmail.com. We really genuinely do love hearing from you. If you have clarifications, queries, questions, follow-up, all of it, get in touch with us. We absolutely love hearing from you. Oh, we actually did get a really good qualification on Twitter the other day actually no, out that we did yes. we didn't mention that uh, membership of the Australian Unemployed Workers Union is free we we always say give them money yep. uh, but you can just join if you're unemployed it doesn't cost mm. you anything <laughs> you should do that as well that's yeah. that's 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 a feedback that we got and that's a really good feedback that's important yeah fuck yeah so if you got more like that <laughs> hit us up <laughs> not good enough is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation we pay our respects to their elders past present and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded.